Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. When it comes to the book of Acts, people approach this book from various perspectives. One of the perspectives is to approach the book of Acts for guidance and information and instruction on how to start a new church. In many cases, people will look at the letter that Luke wrote as the description of an outline of how to begin a church. And so they'll start there by studying the development of the early church and try to find ways to pattern after that church with hopes that if we follow the correct pattern, then a church can blossom as a result of our being devoted to the model that was described. Another common reason that people will study the book of Acts is to look for some guidance or some assistance with regards to how to restore a church that does not seem to be functioning very well. In many cases, churches struggle with varieties of challenges and problems, and so people will turn to the book of Acts as a means of trying to restore the integrity of the congregation or restore the functionality of the congregation. The general assumption that people are making in this case is that they believe they have deviated from what is described in the book of Acts. And so people will usually look at it as a means of starting a church, or they will look at it as a means of repairing an existing church, as a description that will provide them with the necessary information and understanding that they need in order to make it like the first century church. That's how it's perceived and how people will use the letter that Luke wrote, the book of Acts. One example of this, of course, is that people will begin to start home fellowships, or they will take a church and break it up into several smaller fellowships, generally meeting together on Sundays, but they make a very strong concerted effort to meet separately during the week with the hope that if they will do it that way, then the church will begin to blossom and behave as we believe the Lord Jesus would want the church to behave. Other things that people look at is they look at the signs and the wonders that were occurring, the miracles that were occurring in the book of Acts, and so they believe that if they can find some way of regenerating or experiencing these signs and wonders and miracles that were described there, then in that way perhaps a church can either be started or an existing church can be better structured or even repaired depending on the struggles that that church is having. These are the kinds of perspectives that many people hold to when they approach the letter of the Acts of the Apostles. In many cases, these are the assumptions that people have when they initially go into the letter. And so when they do that, on the basis of these assumptions, they will try to extract things that they can make use of, and then through a renewed enthusiasm, they try to live in holy devotion to what they believe they should be seen in their life or in the lives of the others who are close to them in the fellowships that they are a part of. These are very common assumptions that people have, but I personally believe that these assumptions contradict several things that I have come to really believe and understand about the relationship that I do have with the Lord Jesus. For example, I personally believe that if he wants us to start a church, that he will direct us and guide us individually in terms of how to start the church. 
and it may follow a very similar pattern to how the church began as it is described in the book of Acts. It may follow that, but it may not. It may be something very different. It may be unique based on the kinds of people that we are reaching out to or the kinds of people that are receiving the message that we are presenting. In this context, the Lord Jesus is actively participating in the work that we are doing on the basis of the kinds of people that we are reaching out to in the culture that we are a part of. There are some similarities that we have today in terms of the struggles and the needs that we have, similarities that the people in the early church also could relate to, certainly. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the Lord would begin a church today in the same way that he did back then. Churches start all the time, and they do not follow the same pattern that was described in the book of Acts. They start and they sustain and they grow very well, being very effective in communicating the gospel to many people. And so I believe that assumption with regards to what the book of Acts is for could be a false assumption. I believe that could be a false assumption that could lead a person in a direction that they should not go in, but instead they should be very attentive to and listening very carefully to the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus, who is a part of their life, and receive specific direction and instructions from him. I have great confidence that he will guide us as he would see fit in the circumstances that we find ourselves in. When it comes to the repair or restructuring of an existing church, sometimes the corruption can be very deep, and it may be necessary to actually step away from that particular church. It might be easier and better to just simply separate entirely, just walk away from the existing structure and not try to recover it, because the corruption that generally happens within congregations that struggle and have complicated issues because of the individual pride that people have, the politics, the economics, for various reasons, sometimes it's much better to just simply walk away, to step away and start something new. Sometimes the Lord Jesus can be much more effective within a new organization than an old. This is a reality, and I have observed this over the years happen many times. Whereas an existing organization becomes dysfunctional because of the sin, the pride of the individuals, and the individual's priorities are in too much conflict with the direction and the goals that the Lord Jesus has as he is related through the gospel. This does happen. And so when we turn to the letter of Acts and try to get everybody back in line with what happened in the early church, assuming that that's going to fix everything, it generally doesn't because there are other issues that are not being resolved because of the sin or the immaturity of those people who are making the decisions. So why should we look into the letter that Luke wrote, the Acts of the Apostles? If we are not to look into it for those purposes, why do we have the letter? And what kind of an attitude should we have when we go into this letter and begin to study it and read it and learn things from it? What should we be thinking? What should be our assumptions when we first go into it? Well, I sincerely believe that the assumption that we should have and the perspective that we should have is the perspective that was defined by Luke himself, because he did tell us why he wrote the letter. And so what assumptions should we have when we go into the book of Acts, the letter that Luke wrote, the Acts of the Apostles? What assumptions should we have? What should be our perspective in terms of approaching this letter in order to get the most out of it? Well, I sincerely believe that we should approach the letter with the assumptions that he had when he wrote the letter. We should have a relatively good understanding of the gospel that he wrote previously. We should have a relatively good understanding of the events that took place and what they meant to the people there. But beyond that, I think there's a very good description in the first verse of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, 
where it says, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. In Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, Luke gives this description that he is writing a letter to his friend Theophilus to further describe the events that took place. This is a historical text. It is a historical text that describes the events that unfolded, what people did, what they believed, what they said, the interactions that they had with each other, the conflicts that they had with each other. This is a description of the events of the development of the early church. He did not write to his friend Theophilus and say, My friend Theophilus, and so you would know how to start a church, I am writing this letter to you. He also did not write the letter saying that if you have an existing church, this is what you need to know in order to fix or repair or regenerate your church. That's not what he said. He is simply giving a historical account, a historical record of what happened. This is a very important premise to be aware of and to consider when you read through the letter that he wrote. It's very important because if you don't understand that this is why he wrote his letter, it is very easy to make assumptions that he never intended, and it's very easy to use what he wrote for a purpose that he never intended. And that's something that is very important because you do not want to use the Word of God in a way that it was never intended to be used for. That's called misquoting, misusing, misappropriating the Word of God. And when you do that, you're not only abusing the Scriptures, but you're abusing those whom you are communicating with and sharing these things with, not realizing that these were very important issues, very important events, very important circumstances, but you are not to use them for a purpose, these descriptions, other than what Luke intended for you to use them. Now, I realize that there are many things that we can learn from what he wrote, and we can appreciate these things as we live our lives today. Without question, I sincerely do believe that. But it's very important not to forget the reason why Luke wrote this letter, and to consider that whenever we begin to expand or extrapolate on things that are recorded here. Otherwise, things can become very convoluted, and this can lead to a great deal of confusion that we would do better to simply avoid. Continuing in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, Luke wrote, To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of forty days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Luke described that the Lord Jesus had a few things to say to the apostles, and that's how he begins his letter to his friend Theophilus. Another perspective that people often take when they approach the book of Acts is they look at the book of Acts as the description of how they can be saved. This is a very common assumption that many people make, is that they can go into Acts within the first few chapters and identify specifically what they need to know in order to be saved, or so that others can be saved, by telling them precisely how the people in the early church got saved, thinking that if we can just tell them how the people in the early church got saved, then they would follow the prescribed procedure by which a person can be saved, and that's what people are looking for. They're looking for the procedure. They're looking for the steps to follow in order to be saved, and that's the approach that many people take whenever they read through this letter. But if that's the case, then we have several complications that we have to be aware of when approaching the book of Acts. 
Let me give you a simple example. In Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11, we have the description of Peter going to the home of a fellow by the name of Cornelius. When he went to the home of Cornelius and he spoke with him and his household about the Lord Jesus and what took place in terms of the crucifixion and the resurrection, Cornelius believed and then he was saved. That was a very important event that was described in the book of Acts. And as you continue to read past chapter 10 and into Acts chapter 11, you can see that Peter returns to Jerusalem and he is called before the council in Jerusalem, the council as in the church in Jerusalem headed up by the apostles there. And when he arrives, they were very, very concerned about him going into the home of Cornelius and telling him about the gospel. Peter responds to their concerns by explaining the events that occurred and that Cornelius was saved without first becoming a Jew. He was a Gentile, and through believing what Peter was telling him, he was regenerated. There was a sign that was given by the Lord in order to confirm the reality that Cornelius was born again of the Spirit. He was saved. And when Peter explained this, the council in Jerusalem all acknowledged that a Gentile could be saved. This is Acts chapter 11. Very important to acknowledge. That is, that the church did not realize that a Gentile could be saved between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 10. It wasn't until Acts chapter 11 that they finally acknowledged that a Gentile could actually be saved. That was a big deal, a very big transition point in the history of the church as they were discovering what the Lord Jesus truly had accomplished for them and the implications of what he had done for them. Now, a lot happened between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 10. There is a lot of history. There are many events that occurred. Many things took place in the history of the church between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 10. So throughout those chapters, you need to understand something very important. And that is that during that stage in the development and the maturity of the early church, they didn't believe that a Gentile could be saved. And so if we were to look at it from today's perspective, from the perspective that most of the people who are now looking into the scriptures seeking to be saved or to know how to be saved, most of the people who are doing that are actually Gentiles. So if they go into the scriptures between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 11, they're going to be searching for guidance, information, and understanding about how to be saved from a group of people who had no idea that a Gentile could even be saved at all. That's a very important point to understand and should give you a better perspective in terms of how to approach this letter to read through it, understanding the intent of Luke when he was writing it. This is very important. Otherwise, again, as I described earlier, it's very easy to come to several conclusions that just simply are not true. There are several theological perspectives on how to deal with some of these problematic complications in the book of Acts. The two primary competing views, for example, are covenantal theology and dispensational theology. I personally do not agree with either one of them, but those are competing views that if you were to look at Acts from an academic point of view, they are very good conclusions if you were to approach this letter from the perspective of an academic exercise. Those are very good conclusions. I simply do not agree with those conclusions because I believe that their assumptions are false to begin with. I believe that they are approaching the book with false premises. 
The most important premise, of course, was that the early church had it all together right away. They had a complete and pure understanding of everything that a Christian would ever need to know right from the start. And so when we see the events unfold, there's nothing wrong with what they believed. It would then just be a matter of understanding the transitions that the Lord would be taking the people through, not changing anything about how a person might be saved, but simply communicating with the people in a way that would increase their understanding through further clarification as time went on. So there are definitely some very different perspectives that are presented in the church today. My perspective, of course, is simply different. I simply have a very different perspective, and that's because the premises or the assumptions that I make when I first begin to study through this letter are the assumptions that Luke was simply writing to his friend to describe the historical events as they were unfolding, and the other premise is that the early church did not have it all together right away, but instead were maturing in their faith as time went on. And the example that I just gave in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11, that they discovered that a Gentile could actually be saved, is a very good example that describes the transition that they were experiencing as they were maturing in their faith. When we approach the book of Acts from the perspective of how can I be saved, how can I know that I am saved, or how can I help someone else come to know the Lord Jesus through salvation, When we take that perspective, then we have to assume that the disciples understood precisely what salvation is and how a person can be saved. We have to make that assumption that they know perfectly and completely. But when I give you an example, such as Acts chapter 10 and 11, when they did not even realize that a Gentile could be saved, then I'm giving an example to show you that that might not be the best assumption or the best approach if you are wanting to know how to be saved because it does appear that the disciples had a very poor understanding of the gospel. They had a very poor understanding of how to be saved in the first few chapters of Acts. Now, please understand that I'm not saying that they were not able to be saved because they had a poor understanding, because it's very clear that they did get saved. They were regenerated by the Spirit of God, and they did begin to mature in their faith. There's absolutely no question about that. But what I am saying is that they did mature over time, and their discovery of the gospel was something that happened over time. Let me give you another example, beginning in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. This is Acts chapter 1, verse 4, where Luke wrote, And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, You heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. A very important statement, which I will have to come back to in the next broadcast, especially as it relates to the subject of baptism. But I'm going to follow through emphasizing the subject of the Holy Spirit just for now, where he says that you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is salvation. Salvation is the restoration of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the regeneration that we experience when we are resurrected from the dead through the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God that had been lost in Adam. Now, I realize for some of you that might be a big mouthful. Don't worry, I will explain that in more detail very soon. But I said it in that way in order to just simply give you a little bit more of an expansion of what the Lord Jesus said in order to have a better understanding of what he was getting at. 
But then when you continue to read, you recognize that the apostles did not seem to get a clue with regards to what he was talking about. For example, in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, this is Acts chapter 1, verse 6, And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He's talking about the subject of salvation in terms of the restoration of the life of God that had been lost in Adam, the regeneration of a person to be a born-again believer, to be a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's what he's talking about. And they ask him, oh, so are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel at this time? And he follows it up by saying in verse 7, this is Acts chapter 1, verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. And then follows it up in verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. You see, there was this transition that occurred as the Lord Jesus told them about the Holy Spirit coming. They did not understand what he was talking about at all. And so he addresses their concern, which is completely unrelated to what he was describing, and follows it up with a further expansion to what he had just said, even though they didn't understand what he just said. They're obviously not going to understand what he's saying now either, but they will understand much later. This is a very important description to show you that the apostles did not understand everything right away. But even though they didn't understand everything right away, the Lord Jesus did continue to communicate with them the truths that they would at least be able to better appreciate later on when they could understand the things of God, which they could begin to experience after they were regenerated by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, which would occur a few days from this point where the Lord Jesus is telling them about this. And so instead of looking at the book of Acts from the perspective of how can I gain a better understanding of how to start a church or how to repair a church or how to become a Christian, instead of looking at the book of Acts from that perspective. I'm suggesting that Luke wrote the book of Acts for the purpose of describing the events that took place, what people believed, what they did, and how the Lord worked in their lives in the midst of where they were at in their faith at that time in their life. Therefore, taking that perspective, I believe that the best use of the letter that Luke wrote for us today is actually to be able to go into the history that he recorded and see the transition and the growth of the individual apostles, to see how they matured in their faith, to see the struggles that they had and how they overcame those struggles. I believe that that is the greatest value of the book of Acts today. We can use the historical record of the development of the early church to have a greater appreciation of what they went through, and so we can also look at our own lives and we can have a greater appreciation for the development and maturity that we go through as we grow in our understanding of the gospel and of what the Lord Jesus has done for us. We do experience growth and maturity after being born again by the Spirit of God. When a person first gets born again, when the person is first saved, when a person is first regenerated through the indwelling 
presence of the Holy Spirit. When this happened for you, were you a mature believer all of the sudden, spontaneously, without question? You had a full and complete understanding of all things that relate to life and godliness in light of what the Lord Jesus did for us? Obviously not. When a person first comes to know the Lord, there are transitions that a person goes through as they discover their identity in Christ, the implications of the forgiveness that they have received in Christ Jesus. We all struggle with the issues related to law and grace. There is a period of growth that we experience as we discover more of the inheritance that we have already received and begin to apply that in our daily lives. These are experiences that we all face, that we all go through over a period of time. Why would you expect anything different of the apostles? When they were first born again, they experienced transitions in their understanding of what the Lord Jesus had done for them, the implications of what he had done for them. For example, consider Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, there is a great assembly in Jerusalem where the apostles gathered together, the elders of the church gathered together. Why did they assemble? What were they there to discuss? Well, when we read in Acts chapter 15, we can discover that the reason why they were there was to discuss whether or not a Gentile should be circumcised if they come to faith in Christ Jesus and whether or not they should live a life of obedience to the law of Moses. This is in Acts chapter 15. That tells you that between Acts chapter 11 and Acts chapter 15, in Acts chapter 11, the church acknowledged that a Gentile could be saved, but then in Acts chapter 15, they're asking the question, does a Gentile have to be circumcised? Do they have to live in obedience to the law of Moses? Obviously, the church did not have it all together right away. There were transitions that the people went through. There was a time of growth and understanding that people went through as they discovered the implications of what Christ Jesus did for them. And so I'm suggesting that just as we experience growth and maturity, so the disciples, the apostles, also experienced growth and maturity. And what we have in the book of Acts is a very good description of the growth and the maturity that they experienced as they lived their daily lives walking in the grace of God that had been presented to them through what Christ Jesus had done for them through the crucifixion and the resurrection. Well, I am out of time for this broadcast, but I will continue in the next broadcast elaborating more on what the Lord Jesus meant when he said that he would baptize with the Holy Spirit not many days from then. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net